This is a special branded episode made in partnership with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory and GTM Creative Strategies. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I think I'm headed to a lab. Huh? Oh, okay. We'll figure it out. A lab? Yeah. <laughs> Producer Catherine Jaffe, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. So I hear you recently plunged into the depths of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory there in Golden, Colorado. I did. I did. And it's actually, um, incidentally enough, just two miles from where I live. But I've never, I've never been there. I've never okay. even been inside. So it was um, pretty incredible to actually go behind the gates and see what they're doing there. Okay, I'm entering the main research center. So was it everything you thought it would be? You know, um, <laughs> it was actually a, a little bit more, but in ways I wouldn't expect. So, for example, I parked my car, and the very first thing I came across was this shuttle. Hi. Is this the shuttle? No, I'm, no. I'm, I'm just testing it. You're testing it? Yeah. <laughs> and I looked on the side, and it said that it was um, a wirelessly charging electric shuttle. <laughs> it's an electric vehicle wirelessly charged. And you're just, you're sitting here testing it? Yes. Cool. Cool. So <laughs> where's, where's the visitor shuttle? So it was this combination of seeing something that you would expect so normal. You know, I'm just going to get on a bus. But then uh, seeing almost the future that something could be charged wirelessly. That was so remarkable for me as a first interaction. Oh, so I think that's the right, that's what I'm supposed to do. Okay, thank you. So what brought you there? Yeah, well, I was really interested in, in learning more about this new technology that was unveiled just in the last month that essentially produces biogas using microbes and hydrogen. This is a project that we're taking, we call power to gas, taking electricity, making hydrogen, taking the hydrogen, turning that into methane. Uh, in the process, we're recovering uh, CO2 from uh, biogenic sources, and so we're taking, you know, biogenic re uh, CO2 and recycling that and deferring or displacing uh, fossil fuel purchases. Who's that showing you around? Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> so um, when I showed up, I met up with Ron and Kevin, and... Ron is from SoCal Gas. His full name is Ron Kent. And SoCal Gas stands for Southern California Gas Company. And we uh, deliver one trillion cubic feet of natural gas every year. And um, he is this uh, bright-eyed man with a baseball cap who um, is just kind of beaming, being around all of this. He had told me that for years he's walked along the beach. He tries to walk five miles a day on the beach where he lives in Southern California and just dreams about the future of energy technology. And so for him, being here and seeing all of this in real life is this incredible joy. So I think up these projects and, you know, I find the right people at the national labs and so forth. We're trying to transition off of uh, methane, off of fossil methane, to renewable methane and uh, possibly even hydrogen. Um, so that's Ron. And then his partner at NREL is Kevin Harrison. Uh, I've been working here at NREL for a total of about 15 years. 
I started out as an intern, like many Enrelians, uh, and then hired full-time in 2006 and started working in the technology space of renewable electricity to hydrogen production. And so uh, and for him, it's a different experience. He's kind of around this all the time, every day. To, it's what they're working on. This technology is the intersection of so many different sciences. So he's also beaming in his own way. They both seem pretty excited as they toured me through the facility. So working with strategic partners like SoCal Gas and Excel Energy and, you know, who are our future partners setting up capabilities in this building for the next generation of, of research. So how does this system work? Yeah, great question. Um, well, to start, we walked through what looks like a pretty regular office building, down some stairs, back through some hallways, and they took us to this control room. So right now we're in the control room. It's a nice quiet space, but where we're heading is we're going to head out and look at the electrolyzer system. What do you have to do to set it up? Um, we operate um, the electrolyzer system by controlling the power to it, so making sure it has power, sufficient water flow, and then also making sure it is sufficient quality to go into fuel cell cars. And then we walked out of the control room into this kind of big cavernous, almost like a garage. And there, sitting in a glass box, was step one, which is the electrolyzer. And it's the size of a stove and it has these different pipes coming out of it. And next to it, this shaking, jiggling <laughs> uh, container of water. So we're standing in front of the electrolyzer and you can see a, a translucent white tank that is filled with water. And that's what we start with. We start with deionized water. There is a pump whirling in the background that's moving this water through the heart of the system, the electrolyzer stack. The other thing you'll notice is all of the wires going in. Here at NREL we have a strategic initiative called Electrons to Molecules. The cables you're looking at, and there's 48 of them, these cables are actually mirrored on the other side, 48 cables bringing in electricity in, uh, very high current, 3000 amps, 3500 amps of DC power coming in and that half-inch stainless steel line. So in your mind, picture all 48 wires, pluses, 48 minuses, and then a half-inch stainless steel line carrying the hydrogen out. That is the idea behind electrons to molecules, sort of increasing the energy density um, of a wind and solar farm, converting that to a molecule. Right now, we're, we're doing hydrogen, and this is step one of the process. And then we followed that, which is being pumped through another pipeline outside into mm, like a two or three story elevator shaft. It's quite small, actually. And uh, a lot of valves and uh, instrumentation and wiring and uh, data. Uh, and the great thing about it is it's actually, even though it looks complicated, it's actually very simple. And inside what is the bioreactor, that's kind of what the structure is, are, uh, is water and microbes, these little archaea. And the cool thing about archaea, it ferments hydrogen and CO2 in the same way that you would almost be like fermenting a food product like beer. And then it produces this methane. It does that naturally. And so with a little bit of testing and um, preparation, this company called Electrokea 
um, patented and trademarked the Archaea and um, has put it on loan or lease to NREL to experiment with and learn about how it can be used for biogas. What does it take to make a bug happy? Oh, it's actually very simple. You just give them CO2 and hydrogen and some a source of sulfur, a source of nitrogen, and, uh, and they're, off they go. Uh, they're very rugged. They've been around for a billion years, so they know what they're doing. And we're just trying to uh, do the simple things to make them happy, yeah. What exactly are they trying to do here? They got it built. Are they looking for anything in particular? The technology is only as good as it can be scaled um, or lead to the next thing. And so I think they're really trying to understand um, its applications and whether it's something that can be used on on a wider scale. It is a research-intended bioreactor, a stepping stone to large-scale deployment uh, with companies like SoCal Gas and other utilities that are feeling pressure from consumers or pressure from investors to start decarbonizing the natural gas grid much like we've decarbonized slowly using wind and solar, for example, decarbonizing electricity grid. But yeah, they, they want to know, okay, if we can do it at this scale and we can do it really well, what would it take to do it at a, a higher scale so it can have other applications? Okay, let me see if I got this straight. The reason why Ron and Kevin and so many others are working on this is because we're facing two pretty big challenges. One, we've got a lot of wind and solar hitting grids, and in many cases during windy or sunny periods, there's a ton of extra energy being generated, which is usually wasted. And companies like SoCal Gas, meanwhile, are saying, how can we clean up the natural gas we're sending to homes and businesses? So you've got two things happening at once. So here at NREL, they're trying to solve that problem, and they're taking that excess renewable electricity, they're using it to make hydrogen, then finding industrial sources of CO2 and feeding it all to billion-year-old microbes who then turn it into methane. And then voila, Ron's company has renewable gas that can be fed into an existing pipeline. Yes. And they seem confident this is going to happen? Um, I mean, it is happening. And if you were to ask Ron, you know, he kind of looks up in the sky with his dreamy eyes and he'd say, absolutely. And then you ask Kevin, the science guy, and he, he agrees. The idea here is to start with gases, which can dissolve into water quickly. And that's straightforward. You're not breaking down uh, components and then building them back up, which some technologies do. This starts with gases. So it is a fast reaction. The organisms are self-replicating. And they're naturally occurring. So if things were to spill, for example, if we were to have a problem, um, we've essentially spilled some seawater on the ground and we would make sure it's safe. And that's what's nice about this simplicity. It's a vessel. It's operating at manageable temperatures, 60 degrees C, 140 F. It is not 600 degrees C. So in that way, it's simpler. It's more easy to manage. It's at manageable pressures. Behind you... There are hydrogen storage tanks pressurized to 13,000 PSI. We're operating at 250. So it's easier to operate at lower pressures, and it's manageable. Even, you know, from the side of the dreamer and the side of the scientist, they they both believe in this, and um, they have high hopes for, for seeing it scaled potentially across the country one day. 
producer Kat Jaffe there in Golden, Colorado at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, checking out a very cool new power to gas technology. Kat, thanks very much. Sure thing. So I was a bit jealous that Kat got to basically walk out her front door and go to NREL to see this bioreactor for herself. It's such a compelling system because it solves a few different challenges. It can utilize excess renewable electricity that might otherwise go wasted and create hydrogen. You can use that hydrogen for a variety of things. And it can use CO2 from a wide range of sources as a feedstock for renewable natural gas. It's a brilliant and seemingly elegant form of energy storage, if it works as hoped. I wanted to unpack that if a little bit more. So I called up Ron and Kevin to talk further about the performance of the system, and most importantly, the reasons why it should exist. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. This is Kevin, and Ron is sitting next to me. Yeah, and this is Ron Kent from SoCal Gas. How are those microbes doing? Are you keeping them healthy and productive? Yeah, they're as good today as they were probably a billion years ago. So which one of you guys hiked up the side of a volcano to fetch those microbes and put them in the bioreactor? Uh, neither of us in this room, but we did have dinner uh, with Dr. Metz of the University of Chicago, who brought the organism back uh, to the U.S. and conducted laboratory work on the organism to make it as robust and resilient as it is today. Because two weeks ago when we inoculated the bioreactor, which means we added the organisms, those organisms had been sitting in a can, quite literally, for over three years. And that's how robust they are, because at room temperature, they become dormant, and they just sort of stop producing. But you bring them up to 60 degrees C, for example, you start feeding them gases, and a little bit of supply of nutrients, and they start producing methane. Very cool. Well, I got an update from our producer, Kat Jaffe, who toured the bioreactor with you two. And it sounds like NREL and SoCal Gas have quite the collaborative relationship. How long did it take you to design and build this system? Over the past uh, five years, Ron and I have been working not only to uh, design the system with external companies like Burns and McDonnell, plant services uh, were integral to the design of the system. And then the design went to a company in Houston called Accelerated, and they glued all the pieces together, so to speak. And then it was delivered here to NREL, where we've been working to install it and commission it. And it's been running for about a week and a half, and we're already producing methane. So even though we've been running for a week and a half, mostly daily operations, a total of about 30 hours, we're already converting 25% of the CO2 into methane. So we'll be continuing this commissioning phase with guidance from SoCal Gas and our other partner, Electrokea. And Electrokea owns the right to the organism. But it's a, it's a process, and we do it slowly and methodically and safely here at NREL to assure quality results, uh, impact to the technology. And that's what Ron and I have really been focusing on for the past five years, is how do we advance the state of technology utilizing hydrogen, which utilizes renewable resources to make um, renewable fuels. So Ron, how did SoCal Gas get involved with this? I know it's part of your job to hunt down and experiment with novel clean technologies. How did this form of renewable natural gas catch your attention? 
we were aware of the problem of uh, intermittency uh, in renewables and wind and solar. Um, we were becoming aware of the problem of curtailing. That means uh, turning off the wind and solar because of the mismatch between the demand uh, in the market and uh, the supply from the wind and solar. And we were thinking about how can our system be used uh, to help that? And so how can we use our system as a storage uh, uh, medium to do that? And so the concept of power to gas uh, was being discussed in Europe and various other places and we start, you know, thought you know, we should like really investigate this and start studying it. So we did uh, get together in 2014 with the uh, NREL staff and we talked mostly conceptually at that point and then one thing led to another. And, you know, we gained our confidence. We thought you know, this actually makes sense. Uh, we developed an understanding of kind of the entire space and then we decided to design our own system. You know, we, we worked with uh, Electrokea in, uh, in Germany uh, and looked at their system, and we decided to come up with an American system. And in doing that, what's important about that is when you try to design your system from a blank sheet of paper, kind of building on what other people are doing, uh, you learn a lot, and you have to develop uh, an understanding of the trade-offs of, you know, of, of the energy in, energy out, um, conversions, kinetics, and that sort of thing. So doing this, you know, allowed us to really understand the technology, roll up our sleeves, and really understand it um, from a real practical standpoint rather than a theoretical, you know, concept. And so designing the system, then building the system, uh, developing the control systems and all of that made us really think about actually how the system should work. And as a result of that, we've actually, Kevin's filed for intellectual property, new patents related to this about how the next one should be built. So even though we haven't been running it that long, the whole process has allowed us to really advance uh, our thinking on it and actually communicate with people around the globe uh, on the same topics and really you know, work through these problems. Kevin, you mentioned uh, 25% of the CO2 is being converted into renewable methane. Is that considered good at this stage? What are you targeting as you run the system longer? We've been running the system sort of daily for the past week and a half, and achieving 25% conversion is just the start. So our partners, Electrokea, have a system in Copenhagen, Denmark, that we've uh, visited, Ron and I, and actually uh, the microbiologist here at NREL, uh, Nancy Dow, we visited Copenhagen, and this technology is fully capable, and we fully expect to convert um, over 98% of the CO2 into methane. So this is just the start. So I don't want this to be thought of as, oh, they're going to be fighting for that that 70%. It's going to um, happen pretty naturally as the organisms continue to grow and multiply because that's what they do. They're self-replicating organisms. And over the coming weeks, we will, unless something severely goes wrong, which I don't expect, uh, we will achieve greater than that 95% conversion to methane. So many people are thinking about longer duration storage now, whether it be compressed air, new battery chemistries, pumped hydro, or power to gas. When does a power to gas technology like this one become important or necessary for the grid? Well, it's absolutely uh, important now. Uh, California is curtailing hundreds of gigawatt hours of uh, electricity every year. Uh, the same is true in Texas. 
uh, similar things are happening on the East Coast. It's simply as you, you know, increase your renewables uh, fraction of the of the grid supply uh, beyond 20 percent, you get this uh, mismatch between supply and demand. So this is an important problem today. Uh, unfortunately, it's easily solved by simply curtailing uh, the wind and solar uh, providers, but that's really not a very good solution. That's probably actually the most wasteful solution. Uh, and it, it kind of damages the kind of, or puts a chill on the market where people would probably not want to uh, invest in wind and solar if they thought they were going to be curtailed a high percentage of the time. So this solves that, and it's, it's, it's something that can be applied today. Kevin, what's the potential for this particular technology, this form of power to gas? How do you imagine it being integrated into the grid and the gas system? The opportunity we have now with this technology and to be able to scale it to the tens of megawatt scale, and that's where we start sort of impacting grids because step one, this electrolyzer is a very friendly grid participant. It can move its power up and down, just like Ron was saying. The mismatch between supply and demand on the electricity grid um, is to the point where in California they're curtailing or shutting off their wind and solar uh, to very high levels. So we could be doing something with that electricity. You could be making hydrogen, for one. Um, we also talk about a lot of battery energy storage, and I think batteries will have their place. Um, they can shift energy um, by hours at a time, but we're talking about a different solution. We're talking about storing electricity in the form of molecules, first being hydrogen, and hydrogen provides us a lot of flexibility to um, use the hydrogen the way we use today. We use a lot of hydrogen in this country already. We just don't know it. We make ammonia. We upgrade oil to gasoline. Uh, we make metals. We use a lot of hydrogen is, um, is the main takeaway. But this particular project do goes further. It takes CO2 from a number of CO2 sources like a wastewater treatment plant or a dairy or a landfill or a brewery or an ethanol plant. There's plenty of CO2 sources. So for example, if you're at a wastewater treatment plant that is emitting 60% CH4 methane and 40% CO2, we can take that stream and instead of emitting it into the atmosphere, we could bubble it through this bubble column this tall bioreactor, and the organisms will convert that CO2 and the hydrogen into 98% methane. Um, so now we're recycling CO2. So it, it helps a couple different problems. Is it the silver bullet? No. But can it help? And can it help today? Is there a sense of urgency that we feel to start recycling CO2 and continue the deployment of wind and solar and have this long duration energy storage option at our disposal? And the answer is yes. I feel a sense of urgency to deploy this, accelerate it from uh, one megawatt, which our Electrikea partners have accomplished in Europe, but let's do it here in the US at five and 10 and then 50 megawatt range. And what does that mean? That means 10 megawatts of electrolysis, feeding a bioreactor and a CO2 source converting all of that CO2 to methane. This is not a membrane separation technology where we keep the methane and get rid of the CO2. We take everything and we upgrade the CO2 to methane. I've been covering this space for a long time, and I've seen so many extraordinary innovations coming out of labs, but I'm always a little bit cautious waiting for the but because 
Many of those innovations don't work commercially in the way that they worked in the lab. There are unforeseen problems at scale all the time. Any number of things can happen when you expand beyond the R&D and the pilot level. So is there a but to this? I don't think there is a but. I think there are challenges that we face in terms of cost. So the electrolyzer system um, costs money to buy and costs money to operate. And we have to feed it electricity um, that has to be low cost. And then the bioreactor system, step two. Um, Ron and I are already talking about ways to reduce costs. So working with our partners, Electrokea and other utilities that want to be on the, the front end of this technology, uh, groups like National Grid in New York City and groups in Maine and Vermont. I mean, we get calls all the time. What can we do? Can we do some analysis? Can we work with NREL, become part of this um, potentially very impactful technology? So reduce costs, improve efficiency, improve the integration between the electrolyzer and the bioreactor. There, there are some unique and innovative opportunities in that space to make the entire system, that entire two-step system, more efficient and more cost-effective. But reduce costs, and that's why NREL is here as well. Things do die, to your point, at a, at a small scale because they can't scale. But this can scale if we continue to work and do research to drive down costs. Ron, do you feel equally bullish about where things stand? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, there, in addition to all of the uh, curtailed electricity, there's a lot of CO2 going into the atmosphere that needs to be, and in concentrated uh, form, that needs to be captured and recycled. So, uh, and, and this technology is very simple. Uh, the electrolyzer has no moving parts. The uh, bioreactor has three motors uh, and a vessel and microbes that have been around for a billion years. So uh, it's very, it's inherently simple. There's no uh, exotic metals, no precious metals uh, or anything like that that have to be mined uh, as you might have in lithium ion batteries and all that. There's no cobalt, for example. Uh, and so this is not to say that those options, you know, batteries are, are not a good option. But this is also an additional piece of the puzzle, especially for long-term storage. So, you know, I'm, I'm very bullish. I don't see any technical obstacles. Obviously, they're starting to do this in Europe, so we know that it's, it's cost-effective there. And I think it can be cost-effective here. It does need to be embraced by, you know, the uh, community of policymakers uh, in the energy sector. So to the extent that that happens, uh, I think it can succeed. So you worked on this for five years, designing it just to your specifications. Then the day comes to power it up. I bet you're both eager. Did you flip a coin or draw straws to see who got to turn it on? Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> well, we all got together and cut the ribbon. And then the computer kind of took care of the uh, turning it on part. Uh, there's actually a lot of uh, computer touchscreen things that you have to do, and I think Kevin and his team took care of that. It's taken a lot of people at the Energy Systems Integration Facility to support a project like this. We've had ESIF management supporting this as a high-impact project. We've had DOE, the Solar Energy Technology Office, the Bioenergy Technology Office, the Fuel Cell Technology Office, all partners uh, to help this um, become what it is today. And we're just starting. You know, it feels like Ron and I have sighed a, 
a big sigh of relief recently as, as we started bubbling gases and the organisms started to produce. And this is just the beginning. We're starting to talk about experimental campaigns, opportunities for improvement, new IP. How can we make this more efficient, reduce costs? And I got to hand it to the team here at NREL and our partners at SoCal Gas and Electrokea and DOE to really all contributed to helping start this system. It's not just one person, you know, that gets to turn, uh, press the button to start the gas flow. It's a team of people that have enabled this to happen. And it spans from industry partners to government, um, to the people working uh, every day to, to bring these systems up and make sure they operate safely. And the partnerships and the friendships developed uh, during that time. Just one of the many world-changing technologies and partnerships coming out of NREL. Let's hope we see this bioreactor out in the wild someday soon. Kevin Harrison is a senior engineer at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Kevin, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And Ron Kent is the Advanced Technologies Development Manager at SoCal Gas. Ron, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This has been a production of GTM Creative Strategies. This episode was made in collaboration with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. To learn more about the insanely creative and revolutionary stuff happening at NREL, simply go over to nrel.gov. That's N-R-E-L dot gov. Thanks to Catherine Jaffe for her help with this episode. I'm Stephen Lacey. Thanks to you for listening. <laughs>